0: This morning and turn over to Jonah in chapter three. <clears throat> Jonah chapter three, and let's just read the first few verses here as we begin Jonah chapter three, verse one. It says and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah. Arose, and went Nineveh according to the word of the Lord Now Nineveh was an exceeding great journey of three days journey A great city, sorry, a three journey And Jonah began to enter into the, into the city a day's journey And he cried and said, Yet forty days And Nineveh shall be overthrown Let's just open with the word Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you Lord for this wonderful day We thank you Lord for the opportunity and time around your word we pray as we continue with Jonah this morning that you would speak to our hearts through your word. You would teach us through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me, Holy Spirit, now that everything I say would be your words and your th- and that, Lord, you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts. May you he bless this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we left Jonah last time, it was a fair way time ago now, but when we left Jonah last time, he'd just been recommissioned. To the ministry, mighty God, we saw how God had come back to Jonah, this disobedient, rebellious servant. Jonah had, of course, uh, repented of his sin, and God had come to him, met with him, and God had commissioned him back into the ministry once again. God had given Jonah a second chance, if you like, a second chance to do that which he failed to do the first time round. You know, God could have quite easily just to cast Jonah aside. He could have quite easily given up on Jonah could have quite easily said, I'm going to use someone else, Jonah, instead of you. You failed me, so I'm going to use this prophet over here instead. Now, after all, Jonah had flatly disobeyed the Lord. He had flatly refused to obey God's will. You know, praise God, that's not the God we serve. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't cast us aside. But rather, our God is a loving, gracious, and merciful God. Our God, as we said, is the God of the second chance. And so instead of casting Jonah aside, God chastened him. When Jonah repented, God restored him in love. And he gives him the call the second time to go unto Nineveh. Let's just read verse 1 and 2 there again. This is where we see this call. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. You know, God gives Jonah here the opportunity to do that which he should have done the first time. The calling is exactly the same. Not much has changed. It's the exact same calling. God gives him a chance to do that which he should have done the first time. And we read in verse 3 that this time there's no argument from Jonah. It says in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now this time there is no arguing. There is no murmuring. There is no complaining. There is no desire to run from God this time. Jonah simply obeys the word of the Lord. He willingly obeys God and heads towards Nineveh. Now, what a complete contrast to his reaction back in chapter 1. Let's go back to chapter 1 and just read verse 3. I will start in verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose a flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Yeah, the wording is very similar in verse 3, but, but different. You know, in verse 3 of chapter 1 there, he says, But Jonah rose up to flee under Tarshish. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. Now, verse He rises up, but one time he rises up to flee. The second time he rises up to obey. Now, What a contrast we see here in chapter 3. This time he rises up and he obeys the word of the Lord. Jonah had learned his lesson. He learned his lesson for being disobedient. And now we have in chapter 3 the example of what God can do with an obedient servant. So this morning I want us to consider the message of Jonah to the people of Nineveh and to see the response of both the people and of Almighty God. So notice first, if you would, this morning we see the message, Jonah's message to Nineveh 3. So Jonah went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As you said in the introduction, there's no argument this time from Jonah. There's no questioning of the will of the Lord, but rather he immediately sets out Towards the never here, rises and heads towards the never to obey God's will. You know, from a human standpoint, this task that's before Jonah is an impossible task. From a human point of view, this is an impossible task that Jonah has been set. You know, how could one man claiming to be a prophet of God hope to accomplish anything in such a short period of time? See in a minute, he had 40 days. How could hope to accomplish things? You know, why would you know, uh, these, these heathen idolaters listen to Jonah, a Jew? They were enemies. They weren't friends. Why would they listen to his message? Why would they tolerate such a message? Now, as we've seen before, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. They were all wicked people. You know, what was to stop them from grabbing Jonah and putting him to death, impacting one of their poles on the wall? What was up then from the moment he opened his mouth and started preaching this message of judgment? See, from a human point of view, it seems impossible, doesn't it? And you know, I'm sure that these entered into Jonah's mind. I'm sure that they came to his mind as he's heading towards Nineveh. They certainly entered in the first time, didn't they? That's part of the reason why he fled. But you know, rather than letting human reason stop him, this time Jonah. He puts that aside. And he simply trusts the Lord. He goes in obedience. You know, as he approaches the city of Nineveh, you know, Jonah confronted with the enormity of the task that's before him. You know, in verse 3, we've read it before, but it says, Now, Nineveh, at the end of the verse there, now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Nineveh was, is called here a great city. It was not a small little place, this was an exceeding great city. It was a huge metropolis. It says that it was a three days' journey. Now there's varying opinions as to what this means. But basically, you know, some people believe that it's a three day journey through Nineveh and its suburbs, and others believe it's three days' journeys around Nineveh and its suburbs. Whichever way you take it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is it's a large city. That's the point. Whether you take it to be through it or three days around it doesn't matter. The point is it is an exceeding great city that Jonah has. Been commissioned to witness to. This is the task that confronts him as he, you know, as the city comes into view, that's what he's looking at. That's what he's facing here, this huge city. You know, Nineveh was not just some small little village of a couple of hundred people. And you know, if it was, that would be a daunting enough task, wouldn't it? To be told by God that you go to a village of five hundred people and you've got forty days to turn them all to him, that's a daunting task. You know, it's not even the size of Grafton. You know, twenty to thirty thousand, or whatever you grafton. It's not even a city of that size. Again, that would be an extremely daunting task to be one man, in a city like that. But no, Nineveh is a city of approximately, as we've seen before, between six hundred thousand and a million people. This metropolis, this is a a large city that Jonah is come to minister unto. That's the task confronting him. We really need to put it into perspective here as we read this chapter. This is not just a little tiny place. This is the largest or if not one of the largest cities in the world at the time that he is going to minister unto. This is a daunting task that he is setting out to do. As we read on now in verse 4, we see that Jonah enters into the city a day's journey and he begins to deliver the message from God. It says in verse 4, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You now, here we're confronted with implicitly the message, are we not? Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was Jonah's message to the people. That's the message that he is preaching, he's declaring, that he is crying out as he enters into the city. You know, forty days here is appropriate because throughout the Word of God, forty days is identified with God's testing or judge. You know, consider Noah and the fact that it rained for forty days and forty nights in Genesis chapter seven, verses four and twelve. In Exodus twenty-four, verse eighteen, we're told that Moses spent forty days and forty nights upon the mount. In Numbers fourteen, verse thirty-four, the spies who entered Canaan, spent 40 days exploring the land, testing the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, we're told that Israel was tested for 40 years in the wilderness. First Samuel 17, verse 16, Goliath was allowed to taunt the people of God for 40 days. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, Christ was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, 40 is to have a pattern, doesn't it? It's God's number that he uses when he's sting or, or with, with judgments. And so it's fitting here that God gives to the city of Nineveh 40 days. 40 days of grace. That's really what it is here. 40 days of grace. They didn't deserve 40 days. No more than you deserve any time. They didn't deserve it. But God showed grace here as he gives them 40 days of testing, 40 days to repent and turn back to him, turn from their witness. And believing him, or he says that he will overthrow them. Yet forty and shall be overthrown. Now the word "overthrown" here, interest, interestingly enough, is the same word that's used when speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to those cities? Let's just turn to Lamentations, chapter four. <clears throat> Lamentations chapter four and six. It says punishment of the iniquity of the Lord of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown in a moment. His hands stayed on her. That word is the same word, overthrown. Talking about Sodom and the destruction that took place. And also Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter four, verse 11. It says, I have overthrown some of God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you the firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. In both these passages, you see this word overthrown used referring to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we get the impression here that Nineveh was going to the same fate. We're not told how they would be overthrown. The point is that they were going to suffer a similar fate to Sodom and Gomorrah the wickedness. This word overthrown here literally means turn or overturn something. The tense of the verb indicates a complete and thorough destruction of the city, an overturning of the city's foundations. The point is, the whole city would be flattened and overturned. God was going to destroy the city. This is not just that they would be defeated, they would be destroyed. You see, God's warning to us that unless they repented, unless they recognized their sin and turned back to him, they would suffer the same fate as Gomorrah complete destruction that's coming you know this is the simple message that God had given to Jonah this is the simple message that God told him to deliver unto these people repent or judgment is coming yet 40 days and the universe overthrown you know it was a simple but a very powerful and confronting message was it not a simple but punting and teach. It was a message of judgment, but at the same time, a message of grace. They had 40 days. God gave them 40 days to repent. You now, did Jonah say other things in his message? Probably I'm sure he did. But the point is that it's the bit God has chosen to record for us. Because this is the bit that's important, isn't it? This is the thrust of his message. This is this is the, the, the main point of the message. This is the bit that was important. Repent, judgment is coming. Now there's no flashy gimmicks here. There's nothing flashy about Jonah's message. And nor is Jonah's message a soft, nice, tickle the ears message. No, Jonah's message was blunt, direct, and to the point. Jonah's message was an offensive message. I'm sure the people of Nineveh didn't want to be told, you're sinning, you're getting God's going to destroy you. This is not a nice message. It's a blunt and confronting message that would potentially cause offence. But this is the message God gave him, to deliver unto the city of Nineveh. You know, as I considered that this week, you know, the message that you and I have been given as believers is this. It's simple, but it's confronting. It's simple, but it's a powerful message, the gospel. You know, Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Repent, or judgment is coming. It's a simple, powerful, confronting message. We are sinners. The wages of our sin is death, unless we turn in faith to Christ. John 3.18 He that believeth on him is not condemned, But he that believeth is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, repent or judgment is coming. Those who have not believed are condemned. God's word is clear. See, the gospel message is is a powerful fronting message. The message that we have been given is very similar to judgment. Repent or judgment is coming. Repent or spend eternity separated from God in a lake of fire. Repent or judgment. Now the gospel message is not supposed to be soft. It's not supposed to be a nice tickle this message. No, it is a powerful confronting message warning mankind that judgment is on the way for all those who will not repent. Beloved, will be faithful in preaching that gospel message. The simple is that God has given us, faithful in proclaiming the truth. We cannot water down the message because we don't want to offend someone. In many places, many churches today, that's exactly what they've done. They've done the gospel message because they don't want to cause offense. We won't sin because that's offensive. We won't mention God because that's offensive. And so we water it down instead of delivering the unadulterated truth. Beloved, we cannot water down the gospel message because we don't want to offend someone. The gospel is confronting. The gospel is at times offensive. Why? Because people don't like to be told that they're sinners. People don't like to be told that unless they repent, they're lost and on their way to hell. People don't like it, but beloved, you and I need to tell them because it is the simple gospel message. You know, Paul expresses it in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, when he says, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Truth. You know, Paul felt compelled to preach the gospel message because he understood the importance of it. He understood that that was the message that saves, that was the message that's important. And so Paul says, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel truth. You and I, we, we, need, we need to likewise feel compelled. To preach the gospel message, warn others of the impending danger. Love, we do not need to change the gospel. We do not need to update it. We do not need to water it. We do not need to add flashy gimmicks. We simply need to preach the truth. We preach the truth. Repent and believe. before it is too late. no secondly, here now we send a response to the message. So five. It says, So the people of Nineveh, God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto Nineveh, and he rose arose from his throne, and he laid his robe him, and covered him with sackcloth and ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man, beast, herd, nor flock taste anything, let them feed nor drink water. Let man and beast be covered with cloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? You know, as we read on in the passage now, we see the response of the people in Nineveh, their response to this message. As we said, this message was nothing flash. It was not a large oratory message. It was a simple, confronting message. In the Hebrew text, this message, where it says in verse 3, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, this message in the Hebrew text is five words. That's five simple words. As I said earlier, I'm sure he said other things, but this is the thrust of the message. And the point is that God chose this message to use to, to affect the hearts of these people. See, God took those five words and used them to stir an entire city to repentance. He used that simple message to turn a whole city back to him, to confront a whole city with their sin, to get a whole city on ease. God used five simple words. See, from the king's throne right down to the lowest peasant, all were touched by the word of God, by the message from God. <clears throat> you now, as we read the passage here, we get the impression that from the very first time they saw and heard Jonah's warning, they paid attention. Look in verse 5. It says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. It doesn't seem to be much of a time lapse here. Jonah preached his message in verse 4, and it says, So the people believed. You know, God had given them 40 days, but the people didn't need that long. God had given them 40 days to repent, but the people immediately start to turn to the Lord. You know, the message spread quickly. Throughout the city, the message moved through the people, and the people themselves humbled themselves before God, fasting, wearing sackcloth, showing their repentance. You know, they that putting on of sackcloth here and the fasting was demonstration of their hearts. You know, even the king himself humbled himself by putting on sackcloth and ashes. It says that in verse 6, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and ashes. The king is so moved that he removes his own and he himself sits in sackcloth and ashes. He himself demonstrates his heart, the change that's taking place. And the king then issues a decree. He makes it a He makes it fast, an official order that all the people are to humble themselves. All the people are to humble themselves for God and cry out for mercy. Cry out and repent of their sinful ways. You know, the people as a whole from the king right down to the poorest, recognize the urgent situation and they repent of their sin and turn to the Lord. You know, verse 9 tells they throw themselves at the mercy of God. Verse 9, it says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? You know, their hearts were affected, they repented of their sin, they got sackcloth and ashes, they're fasting, crying unto the Lord in repentance. And they throw themselves at God's mercy. They throw themselves upon the mercy of God and they simply wait upon the Lord. You know, all they could do was humble themselves before God and pray that God would show them compassion, that God would show them mercy. You know, the Ninevites, like the sailors back in chapter 1, they didn't want to perish. They didn't want to be destroyed. And so they cry out to God for mercy. You know, God used a simple message from Jonah to instigate one of the greatest revivals recorded in the Word of God. Like we said earlier on, this is not a tiny little village. this even a city like Grafton. This is a city of almost a million people. And God uses this one man with this simple message to affect the whole population for him. This city turns to the Lord. A great revival takes place here in the hearts of the people. You now the simple truth here is that Jonah presented God faithfully and God did rest. You know those words in and of themselves are nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. It's only because God was in it that those words had an effect. That's why this happens in this city. Jonah's just the tool. He's just the one claiming the truth. God does the work in the hearts of the people. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, works in their hearts, and these heathen knights turn to God. As we said earlier, you and I must likewise be faithful in simply presenting the gospel message, doing our parts. You know, it is a simple message, but it's awful one, and it is the method that God has chosen to bring him. It's the foolishness of preaching. Turn to first Corinthians chapter t- chapter one. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty one, it says, For that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching is God's method of delivering the message of salvation. This is what God has given us. He's given us the gospel message and he says to to preach it, to tell others. This is God's method of bringing men to him, the method of salvation. You see, the gospel message is how men come to Christ. It is the power of God under salvation. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Again, let's go and read it. 1st Romans, sorry, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see, it's the gospel message, the power of God unto salvation. You know, we don't bring men to Christ by our flashy gimmicks. We don't bring men to Christ by our well-organized programs. We bring men to Christ by the gospel message. And we must never forget that as believers. We must never forget that as a church, that it is the gospel that is the power of God in the salvation. Having a great program is good, but that does nothing if the gospel is not there. The gospel is the power of God in the salvation. Like we have been given a task the task is to warn men of the judgment that is coming. Like Jonah, we must be faithful in delivering that message. Faithfully. Delivering it the way God intended it to be. See, it's only as we preach the truth that the Spirit can do the work. If we fail to deliver the gospel message, the Spirit can't do the work in their hearts. We're failing. We have to deliver the message so God can then do His part in their hearts. So that God can then apply it to their hearts through the Spirit's. Showing them their need of salvation. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. It says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You know, some of us plant, some of us water, but ultimately God gives the increase. We must never forget that as believers, God is the one who gives the increase. And, you know, at times in our ministries, it seems like we're preaching and it's deaf ears and nothing's happening. That's fine. We still need to remain faithful to the gospel. We need to just keep preaching it faithfully. We're doing our, let God do his part. The moment we start thinking we're not succeeding, so we change it all and we stop preaching the gospel, we failed. We've moved away from God's word. You know, making more entertaining to bring more people in doesn't get them saved. It's the gospel that saves them. We must never forget that as a church, that you and I have to do our part. Let God rest. Let us not become discouraged in witnessing. Let's just keep doing our part and pray that God will give. things. And thirdly and lastly, now we see in this passage, we see God's response. God's response to the people of Nineveh. Look in verse 10 of Jonah 3. And God saw their works. Turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil said to do unto them, and he did it not. Now lastly this morning we see the Lord's response. You know, verse ten here we read that God saw their works, and that he repented of the evil that he had said would do unto them. God showed city mercy. They experienced gracious, loving hand of God upon them because of their repentance. God chose to turn away their wrath to spare this city. Now At the start of verse 10, here we read, it says, And God saw their works. God, saw their works. You now, does that mean that they were because of their works? Of course not. That's not what this means here. Their works are the fasting, the putting on of sackcloth and ashes. But those works simply represented their hearts. Those works represented what had taken place within the change of mind that they'd had about their sin and in relation to God. It was a representation of what had taken place. You see, it was the change of mind, their repentance, that God saw. That's what God saw. And that's why God forgave them. That's why God lent it of judgment that was coming. Because God's hearts. You know, James chapter 2. Just turn to James 2, verse 18. <clears throat> James 2, 18, it says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. James points out the fact that our works demonstrate our faith. And that's exactly what takes place here with Nineveh. The Ninevites, by their works, demonstrated their faith. Demonstrated the fact that they had believed God. Demonstrated the fact that they had repented. Of their sin and turned to Almighty God. Their actions were a result of change within. And this is what God saw, and this is why God repented of the evil that He said He would do unto them. You know, that leads us to another important question here. You know, you hear in this verse to have repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them. How God repents is the question we must ask. We must ask. How can God repent? Because repentance is to have a change of mind. How can God have a change of mind? How can God change his mind? You know, we know from the word of God that our God is immutable. In other words, he is unchanging, unchangeable. He never changes. He's always the same. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. God doesn't change his mind. He cannot change his mind, for it would be contrary to his very nature, to his very character. Now, think about it. If God changed his mind, then how could you and I trust his promises? We would have no guarantee that he's not going to change his mind tomorrow and relent on those things. How can we believe the promises that God has given us? Beloved, God cannot change his mind. To do so implies that he was wrong in the first place, doesn't it? If God changes his mind, then it implies that he was wrong about his direction in the first place. And so if God does change his mind here when it says that he repented, what is it talking about? Well, I think it's first of all, you and I to understand who in this passage changes. That's the key. Who does changing? Well, simply, it's the people of Nineveh, isn't it? The people of Nineveh are the ones who change. They are the ones who changed their mind. They are the ones who had a change of mind about their sin and their relationship to God. They had a change of mind. They moved from living in unrepentant sin and so they were under the wrath of God to now living in repentance and so God's mercy and grace was upon them. They changed. Their position before God changed. God must act in accordance with his holy character. God is holy. And so he must deal in accordance with his holiness, with his character. And so while ever the Ninevites were in disobedience, they must experience God's wrath upon judgment, Because God's holiness demands it. But as soon as they repented and turned to God, God forgave them in his grace and his mercy. You see, God's treatment of the wicked and the righteous doesn't change. God always treats the, wicked the same, and He always treats the righteous the same. It's man's position that changes. Man moves from being wicked to being over here, being righteous because of their repentance and their faith in God. Man changes, God. and even the, even today, the same is true for this lost and dying world. You know, the unsaying their sin are under the wrath of Almighty God. They are going to face judgment one day because they are unsaved. They are lost. They are destined for eternity, separated from God in the of fire. When men hear the gospel and turn to God in faith, he forgives them and they experience his grace and mercy. You know, that's what you want to experience if we're here today and we're saved. We've all experienced that. We were under the wrath of God. We were the children of disobedience. But we have moved from there to being under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Covered by the blood, we are now saved, experiencing God's grace and mercy upon us. And this all comes about by faith in Christ. Simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And indeed, in Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that this is God's desire for all men. It says, "...the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." See, God doesn't want anyone to experience his wrath. That's not what God wants. But God's holiness demands that he can't ignore sin. Rather, God wants us all to experience his grace and his mercy, but sin must be dealt with. And it's dealt with in Christ. Beloved, when any of us comes to the Lord in repentance, we all experience his grace. God has promised that he will always Show his grace, his forgiveness unto those who come to him through Christ. Just like the Ninevites experienced God's grace and mercy. Just like Jonah experienced God's grace and mercy. When we come to Christ, we experience God's grace. He responds to you and I with forgiveness and mercy. You know, we've seen this morning how Jonah obeyed God the second time. Jonah obeyed the second time by going to the city of Nineveh and preaching faithfully the simple message that God had given him. And God took that simple confronting message and worked in the hearts of the people to turn the city back to him. And God responded to their repentance by them and showing them mercy. You know, as believers today, let us follow the example of Jonah from chapter three. Not chapter one. Let's follow chapter three. Let us with boldness faithfully declare the simple gospel message. We need to change it. We don't need to update it. We don't need to organize it. We don't need to water it down. We simply just need to faithfully declare it. And when we do, God will do the rest. See, God says in his word, he promises that his word will not return return unvoid. If we're faithful in preaching the word, preaching the truth, God has promised to do the work in the hearts of men. When we faithfully declare, the Holy Spirit does the work to bring them to repentance. And when they do, God promises that he will always forgive and show them his mercy. Now, beloved, let us not be discouraged in the ministry of the gospel. Let's not get discouraged. But keep on faithfully planting the seed and let God give the increase. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jonah's obedience the second time. And Lord, for the simple yet powerful confronting message that he had. Yet 40 days and never shall be overthrown. Likewise, the gospel message that you've given unto us is a simple yet powerful message. Repent and believe before it's too late. And Lord, I pray that you help us as a church, as individuals, to be faithful to that gospel message. May we faithfully proclaim it. May we faithfully tell others that your Holy Spirit can do the work and give the increase. May we never get discouraged in the ministry of the gospel, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.